What's going on, guys? Welcome to my podcast, The Christian Minute, where we provide teachings and encouraging words, all for the glory of God. If we haven't met before, my name's Devin Caswell. I'm a YouTuber, I'm a vlogger, and I do this podcast for you guys. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow our Instagram, and follow my podcast on whatever social media platform you have discovered it on. Um, I post different content on each platform, and I just want you guys to be updated. So um, if you guys could do that, give this uh, podcast a share, give it a like, um, reach out to me if you guys have any suggestions, any comments, any prayer requests, anything like that. I would love to interact with you guys. Um, with all that being said, um, the Lord really put on my heart as of lately to share on intimacy, and specifically intimacy within friendship. See, friendship is a theme all throughout the Bible. From beginning to end, we see this important theme of friendship with God and one another. And so I really just want to start this off with a quote by an author named Paul J. Waddle, and he writes a book called Becoming Friends. And one of the quotes from this book is very powerful. Let me read it to you. It says, perhaps the greatest human need is a need for intimacy. Yes, to survive physically, we need food, shelter, and clothing. But to survive spiritually and emotionally, we need intimacy. Man, that is so deep. It's so true. To survive physically, we need all these physical essentials, right? We need food so we don't go hungry. We need shelters to avoid the elements. We we need clothing um, to stay clean. But to survive spiritually, spiritually and emotionally, we need intimacy. And this is something that God has established in our lives, and we see that right off the bat in the book of Genesis. I mean, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said it was good. When he created water, he said it was good. When he created land, he said it was good. And then God created Adam. And then in Genesis 2.18, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so right off the bat, we see this desire for this longing for intimacy. And so God takes one of Adam's ribs and he forms Eve's and he, and Eve and he makes a helper suitable for him and, and some, his companion, someone that's going to walk alongside him while he pursues the calling on his life. So we see that in the book of Genesis that there's this, since the beginning of time, there's this desire, this longing, this drive within us to desire relations with one another. It's not just something that has developed and evolved over the years, but it's something that God has specifically placed within human beings, this desire for intimacy. And so let me just start off with the desire of intimacy, which means close familiarity or friendship, closeness, close familiarity or friendship closeness. This is interesting, and I want you guys to pay attention. Oftentimes when we hear the word intimacy, we think of it in a romantic context between a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a wife, a husband, but rarely do we associate intimacy with friendship. Even though friendship and closeness are literally in the definition, we rarely associate intimacy with friendship. And I think part of that is due to the fact of today's society, today's day and age with social media. You know, with social media, media, it allows us to be more connected than ever, yet so divided. Because here's the thing, on media, we, we have so many connections, we have so many superficial friendships, but the problem with those friendships is that there's no depth, there's no intimacy, there's no deep relationship there. We just know who each other are, but we there's no intimacy there. So it's almost like being more connected than ever has caused more loneliness than ever due to the superficial world of media. And so it's almost like we've lost the art of knowing how to have close, intimate friendships with the people around us. 
So today we're going to be diving into scripture and what the Bible says about intimate friendships. And one of the friendships that really just stood out to me uh, was Jonathan and David. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. This is the NIV. Uh, it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From the day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. First thing that I love right off the bat in verse 1 there is the fact that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. I love the way the ESV specifically puts it. He says, Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I mean, these guys were so close that they were inseparable. You, No matter what came their way, no matter what happened, you would not be able to separate these guys from one another. They're one in spirit. They loved each other as they loved themselves. And that's what covenant is. See, I think we kind of get this misinterpretation of covenant because in the Western world, we don't really understand covenant on that deep of a level, the only context that we really know covenant within is marriage. But in the Eastern world, covenant is still very much a thing. It's still very active and still very utilized. But in America, in the Western society, in the Western world, we really don't know what covenant is. And so when we get married, we're saying that I love you as I love my, as, as I love myself. Everything that I have is yours. We are one in spirit. We are inseparable. We are knit to each other's soul. And the point I'm getting at is that this scripture is portraying that intimacy isn't just meant for a romantic context, but it's also meant for friendship because Jonathan and David make a covenant here. And I love the fact that Jonathan took off his robe and gave it to David along with his tunic, his sword, and his bow and his belt. So Jonathan gave everything he had to David, symbolizing that everything I have is yours. That's what covenant is. Everything I have is yours. I love you as I love myself. We are one in spirit. And so there's going to be... Um, a few points that I want you guys to walk away with. Uh, so write this down if you're taking notes. Intimate friendship requires great risk. And we see this in 1 Samuel 20. I'm not going to read the scripture to you guys, but we see it when Jonathan goes out of his way to protect David. And so for those of you that don't know the story, King Saul, who's currently the king over Israel right now, who started out good, and then as time went on, he made some really poor decisions and really just fell away from God. Um, King Saul was very jealous towards David for multiple reasons and wanted to kill him. So Jonathan and David at this point have made a covenant, they're best friends, and Jonathan is the son of King Saul. So that kind of puts Jonathan in a weird predicament here. But at this point, it becomes known that King Saul is trying to kill King David. And so Jonathan comes up with this plan to help David escape and they come up with this whole elaborate thing that he's like, hey, um, if my father really is trying to kill you, I will give you a signal by shooting out arrows into this field. And if I shoot arrows out into this field, that's signaling to you that you need to leave and get out of here and never come back, basically is what he's saying. And so that's exactly what happens. He, he shoots out those arrows to give the signal to David and David runs away without being killed by King Saul because King Saul was going to poison his food at dinner. And so um, the whole point I'm getting at is that Jonathan, who's in a weird predicament because his dad is the king of Israel and it's also his own father, is willing to taint the the reputation and his rep, rep, uh, relationship with his father to protect 
David. Imagine how big of a risk that is. Jonathan not only put his life on the line for David, but risked tainting his relationship with his father and also the potential of Jonathan one day becoming king. And so there's a lot on the line for Jonathan here, but he loves David as he loves himself. As I said earlier, they made a commitment. They are committed to one another. Nothing can separate them. And that is the sacrifice that is shown here by Jonathan. And it's a beautiful thing because I don't think we often realize that in our lives, the ways that friendships require great risk and great faith even. See, with us having a tendency to be so closed off, sometimes, you know, friendships can scare us. You know, we've all been hurt in the past. We've we're scarred. We're, we're, we're too scared to get close to someone just because they've left us and they've left our lives at some point and they were someone really important to us. You know, there's lots of reasons to be a little fearful about having a deep friendship, but I'm here to tell you, when someone in your life comes along and they have good intentions, they're a trustworthy person, they're a man and woman of God, are you willing to put your walls down? That's the question of the night. Are you willing to put your walls down? Because if you are, I'm here to tell you, Friendship is one of the most beautiful things on this planet. And the the flip side of that is, are you willing to be a good Christian friend and be persistent, excuse me, with helping other friends in your life break down their walls and be vulnerable towards God and towards you? See, it can take time to break down walls. Let me just be very clear about that. When it, whether it's someone doing it to you or you trying to break someone else's walls down, it can take time. It takes persistence. Persistence is key. And we see this in the story of Israel when God told them to march around the walls of Jericho for seven days. And so that's kind of a weird thing to ask, but God asked the Israelites to do that. And the walls came crumbling down within seven days. But just imagine that, the physical toiling labor that it took to walk around those walls seven days straight, blaring trumpets, worshiping. It would be exhausting and it took a lot of time, but those walls eventually came crumbling down. And it's no difference in in our lives because what caused those walls to come crumbling down was persistence and obedience. See, when we're obedient to God and we're persistent when it comes to pursuing our friends and spreading the gospel and spreading the truth and just being a good friend to them by uh, being there for them, by demonstrating love, kindness, and respect, and you know, just giving them our time, giving them our listening ears, whatever they're going through. See, when we're persistent and we give them our time, effort, and energy, you know, we, we start planting seeds in their life that can potentially blossom into something beautiful. That's what we're doing here, guys. We have to remember, we have to think long term. You are currently planting seeds in someone's life that it will eventually blossom into something one day, but it may take time to blossom. See, maybe you're, you're a leader of some kind and you're pouring in to the, to, to your people, you're pouring into the youth, you're pouring in to whoever, and you're not, you feel like you're not really seeing any results. I'm here to tell you, be persistent. Keep planting them seeds. Keep being consistent with showing up, with being a good friend, with being a good leader, with having a good attitude. Be consistent because I promise you will see fruit. You will bear that reward. It just takes time. Those walls will be coming, those walls will crumble down if you're willing to not give up, okay? 
And so I had a friend in high school. His name was Cameron and he played on my basketball team and we're still good friends today. We talk here and there. Um, but when he played on my basketball team, he was a little reserved. He kind of kept to himself, kind of a little closed off. Uh, didn't really, he wasn't very open about much and that's fine. Um, but I just wanted to go out of my way to be his friend because I felt like it was important to have good camaraderie, camaraderie between all of us. And so I wanted him to be a part of that. So I got out of his way and I start getting lunch with him and I start going over to his house and really getting to know this guy for who he is. And I noticed that something when we first started hanging out, he was very closed off, still very reserved, kind of kept to himself. But as time went on, he started opening up. He started sharing things that were very deep and personal. And I started to realize why this guy was so reserved. And I'm not going to tell you the specific reason of why he was reserved, but I can tell you that just by going out of my way to spend time with him, it changed his life. And here's why. Because as time went on and we kept building this friendship and this this intimacy and this trust was established, I noticed that he just started to be happier in general. Like he would just come to practice and he was just happy. He was genuinely smiling, interacting with everyone. He started being honest and open and transparent with everybody around him because he felt comfortable. There was that trust there. That There was that intimacy that had been established. And not only that, I noticed that statistically he started improving on the court. And that just goes to show how much performance has to do with where we're at emotionally and spiritually. And so to be spiritually and emotionally healthy, what was that quote that we read earlier? We have to have intimacy in our life. And the other thing that I want you guys to remember, this is just kind of a quick side note, but it's easy to think that friendship is always like this super sugary, happy, go-lucky experience. And I'm here to tell you at some point in your life, each and every single one of your close friendships will be tested somehow or some way. It's really easy to develop this false reality that friendships have to be perfect all the time and to be expecting your friends to really fulfill a role that only God can fulfill. Ooh, I come into your house to be expecting your friends to fulfill a role that only God can fill. That is, that's something that we all do. That is something we all do without even realizing it. But we just have to come to a place and know that there's going to be times where our friendships are tested, where we disagree with one another, where we're just not able to see eye to eye. And the enemy's going to try to wedge himself in between you guys in those moments and bring division, bring separation, and bring isolation. Uh, First Peter 5.8 talks about um, the enemies like a roaring lion uh, prowling around, circling, seeking someone to devour. I definitely butchered that verse, but you guys get... Uh, what I'm at, uh, what I'm getting after here. See, I love that that verse specifically says a roaring lion because the roaring lion is a lion that positions himself in front of his prey. And so when you, when you understand what lions do, uh, the king of the pride will position himself in front of the herd of wildebeest, of gazelle, of deer, whatever it might be, whatever happens to be on the menu that day, the, the king pride lion will position himself in front of the herd and he'll let out this big roar. And as soon as he lets out this big roar, all of them start running. What the herd doesn't know is that the rest of the pride, the rest of the lions are already in the field and they ambush the wildebeest, they ambush the gazelle. And what they do is they target Target the weakest, the slowest um, animal, and they try to isolate them from the herd. They'll separate them from the big crowd of of wildebeest, and, and once they get them isolated, they're toast. They 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 become lunch because together 
it's tough to hunt them, but when they separated and they're isolated, that's when they become easy to, they become an easy meal for the lions. And so the enemy wants to isolate us. He wants to separate us from the community that's so beneficial for us. The community is amazing for us. Iron sharpens iron. You know, it gives you uh, some people to lean back on when you're going through hard times. It's people who hold you accountable, give you biblical uh, wisdom and advice when you need it. Um, community is absolutely essential, but that's just the the surface of what I'm getting at here. Intimacy is where it's at. See, community is where intimacy is established, but we have to seek out that community, we have to be diligent about seeking out that community and building those close relationships. Because if we don't have those close relationships, we start isolating ourselves. And isolation is a place where the enemy can really get a grip on us. And I don't want that to happen to any of you guys. Second thing that I want you guys to take a mental note of is intimacy is established through trial. And I have a lot of friends that would make this list, but I have friends who we went through very difficult hardships together. And because of it, there was an intimacy that was established. Uh, Samuel chapter 20, verse 4, this is Jonathan talking to David. He says, whatever you want me to do for you, I'll do for you. And the reason that Jonathan said that is because Jonathan and David have gone through all sorts of trials together. Due to King Saul's rage, bitterness, and jealousy uh, towards David, there was all sorts of things that Jonathan and David went through together and there was this deep bond that was established because of it, this bond that would last a lifetime. And so intimate friendships are things that are established through sticking it out through thick and thin. And we even see this in scripture with a friendship between Abraham and God. And so God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son and so Abraham is obedient and he goes up on this mountain and he's ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, who's about 16 years old at this time. And I'm here to tell you guys, Isaac was definitely in on it. He, There's no way a 16-year-old teenage boy wouldn't be able to run away from his father or overpower his father um, and, and not be sacrificed if he didn't want to be. So Isaac was obedient to this as well. Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. Um, we have to know that. And... Abraham has knife in hand, he's ready to sacrifice his son, and then all of a sudden God says, wait, there's a ram in the bush, use that in place of Isaac. And so that's what happens. And so you can obviously imagine the 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 thing that Abraham, Abraham, Abraham had to wrestle with in this moment. I'm sure there was a lot of um, things that Abraham had to rest, wrestle with from a psychological standpoint after almost sacrificing his son. But the thing is, is that test was put in place to see if God could trust Adam. And, uh, not Adam, excuse me, Abraham. See, the for the blessings and the promises that were to come, which were absolutely massive for Abraham, God needed to know that he could trust Abraham. And so after this, there was this deep bond, this deep intimacy between Abraham and God. And Abraham was even referred to as the friend of God. And they made a covenant together. Imagine making a covenant with God. You know, we have to be really close to someone. We have to love someone as we love ourselves. We have to be willing to drop everything uh, and, and say that what I have is yours. That's what covenant is. Imagine making a covenant with God. That, that happened a few times in scripture, and this is one of those moments with Abraham and God, they make a covenant with one another. That'd be so cool. Um, but the thing is, when you go through something difficult with someone else, one of two things is going to happen. 
You guys will either grow apart or you will grow closer in friendship. See, after that testing time, Abraham could have been like, oh gosh, that was too much of a test. That was just too much. I don't know if I can serve God. And he could have grown distant. But no, they grew closer together. There was a trust that was established. They came out the other side stronger. And the analogy I like to use to describe this is Marines. Marines literally go through a living hell when they go through boot camp. Right, They have to face all sorts of trials together. And I love an interview uh, that somebody somebody asked a drill sergeant, um, what kind of man makes it through boot camp? And he said, it's not the high school stud athlete. It's not the person that's always in the gym lifting weights that makes it through boot camp. The person that makes it through boot camp is the person who's willing to help his brother to the left of him and to the right of him. See, the thing you have to understand about the Marines is who they uh, go into boot camp with is who, when they when they come out of boot camp and they get sent out to war, that is the platoon that they fight with because those are those are the brothers that they were there for each other when they were going through hard things, when uh, they were looking out for each other during boot camp. Now they know that they can trust each other in war. They're going to have each other's back no matter what. And so when we face hardships together, when we face trials together, there's a trust and a deep bond that is often established through that. The third thing that I want you guys to take a mental note of or write down if you're taking notes is intimate friendships are not diminished by distance. Okay, so as some time went on, Jonathan goes off to battle and dies in war. And so David finds out about this news. And you got to remember, this is about 15 years between when they last saw each other. David finds out this news and it says in 2 Samuel chapter 1 verses 11, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And all the men who were with him did the same. Okay, so... A while has passed, and this shows that David still had a big heart for Jonathan. He still loved Jonathan as himself. He still really uh, had a special place for Jonathan in his heart, even after all these years. And even uh, even David's men mourned Jonathan, which shows that they knew him back then, and they knew that Jonathan was a good guy, and that through the stories David would tell, they knew that Jonathan was an amazing person, and Jonathan had a special place in their heart. And so this tells me, despite the years that were in between the time they last saw each other in between Jonathan's death, that there was no distance there. There was still that pain. There was still that raw feeling of he just lost someone that he loved as himself, just lost someone who meant the world to him. And so intimate friendships are not diminished by distance. And I have one of my best friends, his name is Abram. And we have this kind of dynamic in our friendship that no matter where we go in life, when we come back to each other, we just kind of pick up where we left off. I could go to college away. I could go away for college for a couple of years and come back and we would just pick up right then and there. He could go away for a little while and come back. But whenever we uh, meet, it's just like we just pick up where we left off. There's no bitterness. There's no pettiness. There's no like, oh, bro, you never talk to me anymore. There's nothing like that. We just have an intimacy and a trust that's established there. That and is not diminished by distance. See, these type of friends are the real ones. These are the friends that aren't petty when you uh, don't talk to them for months. They aren't going to hate you as soon as you move away. They aren't going to talk bad about you when you don't have time to hang out anymore. These are intimate relationships that you can literally just pick up where you left off at any moment. And these are the type of friends that you want to keep around. 
The fourth and final thing that I want you guys to walk away with, write this down, is intimacy is loving someone as you love yourself. As I've been repeating this whole message, this whole sermon is 1 Samuel 18.1, right? Where Jonathan said to David, uh, he loved him as he loved himself. That's what covenant is. We've learned that today. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 verses 33 through 40. This is uh, a Pharisee talking to Jesus. So let me just go ahead and share the scripture with you. Uh, but when the Pharisee heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On the on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So we see loving others as you love yourself is the second greatest commandment right after loving God with all your heart. So obviously this is something that's very important and very emphasized. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 verses 12 says, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. That is something we've all heard in our lives, right? Like treat others as you want to be treated. Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 10 say, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law for this you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment it is summed up in this saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to a neighbor love therefore is the fulfillment of the law okay so we see this is just multiple scriptures just emphasizing that one point that loving, we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We need to love others as we love ourselves. We need to, then this is all tying back into intimacy. When we go out of our way to love others as we love ourselves, there's a deep bond that becomes established. There's an intimacy and a trust that becomes established. Um, but there's a, there's something that I really want you guys to walk away with. It, write this down. Um, it is, the way you love others is an outside manifestation of how you love yourself and how you love yourself is a reflection of how you love God. I'm going to repeat that. The way you love others is an outside manifestation of how you love yourself and how you love yourself as a reflection of how you love God. So we're basically the point I'm getting at is we can only love other people when we truly begin to, to love ourselves. And the only way we can begin to love ourselves is to see ourselves how God sees us. See, we get these ideas that we, um, you know, we're not that pretty. We're not good looking. We, we will never amount to anything. We get these insecurities and these doubts within us. And we need to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. See, God calls us victorious. God says that we are the head and not the tail, that we are above and not beneath. We are called to soar like wings on eagles. We we are chosen. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession called out of darkness into his great light. This is what God says about us. And we have to begin to walk these things out and learn to see ourselves how God sees us. And one of the ways that we can learn to see ourselves how God sees us, which allows us to love ourselves is by reading scripture every day, praying every day, earnestly striving and seeking Christ on the daily. And I would imagine the more that we do these, the love of Christ would begin to ooze out of us and flow into others. And it would be easy for us to begin to demonstrate love to other people. There's this concept by, uh, from Andrew Womack called effortless change. And basically if it, if I were to summarize what it is, it's, 
the more you read your word, the more your life will change for the better. So the more scripture we read, if as long as we take time out of our day to read scripture and spend that time with God, that intimate time with God where he's just downloading things to us and we're getting these revelations, we can, it's impossible for us to read truth and not be changed by it because those words on those pages are more than just words on a page. They are living, breathing truth. When we read it, it is breathing life into us and it's shifting things around. It's forming. It's, it's changing things within us. And we walk away from scripture feeling convicted, but feeling good, feeling confident and feeling ready to take on the world and the enemy and, and, and really just feeling good about ourselves because we begin to see See the way that God sees us. Okay, and so I just want to share a, a parable um, about the good Samaritan. Okay, and so Samaritans just kind of like a, as a preset before I read into the scripture. Samaritans were known as not pure. They were like temple assistants. Levites and priests were known as religious leaders. They were. Um, known as quality citizens, whereas the Samaritan was kind of known as um, kind of a mutt, uh, uh, not not a religious leader because they were half foreigner, half Israelite, and they were hated by the Jews. Um, so let me just go ahead and dive into this parable here. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 34 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He put him on the, and put him he went to him and bandaged his wound, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so there's three things that I want you guys to walk away with from that parable. The first one is, is the good Samaritan was a perceptive neighbor. So right off the bat, no one had to tell him to do anything. He just saw that this man was in need. He determined the guy's needs before he even had to ask. And we love when people do this for us. We love when people go out of their way and do things that we didn't have to ask them to do. They're, they just do it out of out of love and out of kindness and out of respect. They just do it because they know we would appreciate it or they do it because they know that there's a need. We love when people meet our needs and we love when people go out of their way to do things for us without asking. And so we need to begin to do this in our lives. We need to be a perceptive neighbor. The second thing I want you guys to walk away with is that the, the neighbor was a compassionate neighbor. He was willing to put himself in the other person's shoes and ask himself, what would I do if I was in this man's shoes? 
See, lots of times what blocks us from having compassion on people is that we have to convince ourselves that people put themselves in this situation. A lot of times um, we think people deserve where the, what happened to them or we think people um, put themselves in that situation so you're like ah you know what I'm not going to donate to this holy uh, this homeless person even though I feel the Holy Spirit put on my heart to donate I'm not going to help them out because they probably put themselves in that predicament and the other thing is that can kind of keep us from being compassionate is we're just way too detached from their situation like um, we're just not involved in their life we just don't know what's going on and so it's tough for us to feel sympathy for them because we're in our own little world we need to have compassion on people. We need to have the eyes of Jesus. When we see people in need, we should have compassion for them. When we see people hurting, when we people when we see people that are lost, when we see people in need, our hearts should be pulsating with compassion and we should begin to demonstrate these uh, this compassion to the neighbors around us. Um, the third thing that I want you to walk away with is that the neighbor was a selfless neighbor. He soothed the man's wounds. He took him to an inn. He was willing to be inconvenienced. That line alone, he was willing to be inconvenienced. How many of, of us in our busy, chaotic, scheduled out lives are willing to be inconvenienced? If you were walking to a meeting that you had at 12 o'clock and it was 11.55 and somebody on the street came up to you and said like, hey, I need you to take my daughter to the hospital because it's an emergency, would you go out of your way to take them or would you be focused on your meeting? We have to be willing to be inconvenienced. I mean, there's going to be situations where our compassion has to take over our, um, our schedule, our, our, um, our chaotic scheduled out lives. And, and, and so we need to be ready to be inconvenienced, re be ready to be a good neighbor, to show compassion and, and to be able to go above and beyond. That's what the good neighbor did here. He soothed the man's wound. He took him all the way to an end. And then he said, if there's any other expenses, I will cover that as well. So he invested his own resources. He invested his time. He was willing to risk getting hurt and potentially robbed, just like the man uh, that was actually, just like the man that was in need. But he was willing to risk all these things and do all these things because he was selfless. We need to be selfless in our lives. We need to go out of our way to, to demonstrate love to our neighbor by showing compassion, by being selfless, by going above and beyond, by going that extra mile. And I love this story because it doesn't just answer the question of who we should show love to. But it shows us how to show love. What the Samaritan did in the story was a radical example of loving our neighbors. And just imagine if we did this in our own lives, what that would look like. It, it would make such a difference in society if we all took a step back and just tried to love our neighbor and we weren't so focused on our own little selfish worlds and, our own, and be in our own little bubble all the time. And I understand that showing love is not always easy. Like loving our neighbors can definitely be a difficult thing, especially for those that have hurt us. And we see here in Romans chapter 8 verses 3 through 4, it says, For what the law cannot do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit see loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is not something that we can do on our own we do it by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is who makes it possible for us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves he's what makes it possible to love our neighbors when 
Our sinful nature is fighting us and wants us to do the selfish thing. Our sinful nature is always trying to get us to focus on ourselves rather than focusing on others. But the Holy Spirit can urge us to forgive those who have scarred us deeply. The Holy Spirit provides peace and chaotic drama within our relationships and friendships. The fruit of the Spirit is love and seeking Holy Spirit's wisdom and insight in moments and situations will save us so many headaches. He will help us love when we struggle to demonstrate love. And I just want to end on that note. Um, if, if this message has touched your guys' heart, uh, please give it a share, give it a like, uh, reach out to me however you can, and, and uh, I promise I'll get back to you guys as soon as possible. Again, I thank you so much for you guys taking out the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Um, again, if you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow the Instagram page, and follow this podcast. That way you guys can constantly stay updated, and you don't have to miss anything. I have so much love for you guys. God bless you all, and uh, you guys will hear me soon.